0: you know, cause I know there's a lot of focus on sexuality in 2023. I hear a lot of people saying I'm born that way. I'm, I'm, I'm born LGBTQ, XYZ, whatever people no, say. No, please don't. Born. No, please, please don't pay. I, I'm going to, I don't,
1: I don't mean to interrupt, but please do not patronize us in the community by adding that you know what it is. You don't have to condescend an entire community of which I am one.
0: I'm right. And you're wrong.
1: This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Heretic Happy Hour, whose tagline is Burning Questions, Not People. Join hosts Shonda DeJaw, December Rose, Dr. Reverend Katie Valentine, Keith Giles, and myself, Matthew J. Distefano, for a happy hour filled with quality conversation, fine fellowship, and perhaps even a laugh or two. Unapologetically irreverent and crass, yet sometimes profound, We make sure to pull no punches and leave no stones unturned as we discuss the Christian faith. But listener, beware. There will assuredly be some serious sacred cow tipping. If that sounds like your cup of tea, or bourbon if that's your thing, head on over to heretichappyhour.com to stay up to date with us, and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast fix.
2: G'day and welcome back to another episode of the Ideas Digest podcast, Idea Adventures for the Open-Minded. My name's Conrad. Now, Matt is not in the same time zone as me, so we're going to play by ourselves. Today, I have a new review hot in from Open-Minded Adventurer Christina, and she says, Hey, I don't even remember how I stumbled across your podcast, but I just wanted to say how much I appreciate listening to all of the different people you've brought on. And how you're trying to bring people together despite our differences. Yes, that is exactly what I'm trying to do. Anyway, she says, hearing different viewpoints from people helped me realize I shouldn't throw everything out. Review or not a review? Play along at home? It is a review. I didn't want to make it too difficult and just make it up and sit here by myself. And Anyway, it's a real review. Thanks, Christina, and thanks for playing along at home. It's less fun. By myself, hmm. Because Matt's in a different time zone, I have done something special this week for this episode. It's a special episode from behind the paywall. I snuck it out past security. And I don't think anyone will notice, but this one comes from one of my idea experiments. I do a lot of these with the super friends as I toy with different formats and different ways of engaging with challenging ideas. This one's from a segment you may have heard of called Hearing from the Haters. This is where I find two echo chambers. Sometimes it's angry people in the comments. Sometimes it's people I meet two different thinkers, and I put them together in the Ideas Digest Hydron Collider and smashed them together. Bit of a science joke for you science nerds out there. Now, I think the Hydron Collider, I'm not a scientist, but I think they were trying to smash atoms together. And if memory serves me correctly, I think people were concerned that if we smashed the atoms, it could make a black hole, or maybe that was some unreliable TikTok information. I can't remember. Anyway... This metaphor worked out better than I hoped because I do think some people think the world will end if two echo chambers do collide. So I thought, why not, on Ideas Digest, get two differing viewpoints and smash them together? By smash, I mean gently place them next to each other and see if we can understand where each other is coming from. Now, for this bonus, hearing from the haters episode, I brought together a narrow-minded, judgmental, homophobic, conservative Christian, oh, how dare I judge him like that, and a wishy-washy, weak, woke, progressive snowflake Christian to see what would happen, see how I just judge them both, hopefully evenly there. Now, before I hit play on this episode that I think you will really enjoy, I hope, um, I love hearing from you podcasting friends of the show. That's you guys sitting in the car listening to my voice, just you and me as we move through these ideas. I speak to people on Instagram, in the DMs, but sometimes these Insta friends, they're great to hear from, uh, but they only you know watch the short snippets I put up and they don't really engage with the true essence of the show, which is the podcast format. So I don't want to say they're not true friends of the show. They're acquaintances of the show. Just don't tell them I said that and they won't hear it anyway. They're not listening to the podcast. So as I grow the show and explore people and ideas, the things that divide us, I'm, I'm trying to make sure I'm headed in the right direction. So... I really need and would love to hear from you, podcasting friends, that's you, yes, and get your feedback. So if you go to Ideas Digest, the Instagram account at Ideas Digest, and click on the link in the bio, there will be in there a survey in lab- <laughs> that's labeled Brutally Honest and Anonymous Feedback, and I would love to hear from you, just to make sure that you podcasters, the ones that listen to the long-form stuff, are the ones having the most say over where I go next, what I explore, what you find annoying. Playing around with some different sound effects recently in the recent episode, and I uploaded it. And very good friend of the show, great friend of the show, I think, Nomiya would me within minutes of it being uploaded, and she just said, those sounds are annoying. And you know what? I listened. Poof, they're gone. No sound, no, well, I changed the sound effect. Maybe these new ones are annoying. I'm trying to, I don't know, I'm just experimenting with things. So, your feedback helps me in these experimentation phases. So, if you do this, listen, I'm not asking for your charity here. Maybe I am. But if you do this, rather than me just giving you my eternal gratitude, which obviously you receive, if you do this survey and then DM me, I will give you a special prize that I promise is not a golden emoji. Those are also valuable, and I don't hand them out willy-nilly either, but I will give you a special prize. It isn't monetary, and it isn't physical, but it's something I think you might like. Well, I'm hoping you might like, so do the survey, and if you're not on Insta for whatever reason, send me an email, I'll send you a link, and then I'll send you a special, special prize. So enjoy this episode of hearing from the haters the christian edition conservative v woke lefty liberal echo chambers collide that's probably the best sound effects i could get on short notice so let's see if the universe does implode as you listen to these two echo chambers collide in a civil conversation and minor disagreements (laughs) This is an Ideas Digest first. We are
0: hearing from the
2: haters. Now, hearing from the haters, when people disagree online, normally they just leave comments and dip and they leave the conversation. They don't want to have a chat. But I've managed to found, find some people who occupy different echo chambers, different realities. And we're gonna I'm going to place them gently next to each other. It's not going to be a debate where it's like the blood sport of, and the battle where we're working out who's right and who's wrong. And debates are a weird thing. It's like if you went to a soccer game, And then at the end of the game, both teams left thinking they won. That's kind of what a debate often is. Everyone's like, yeah, my my, my team nailed it. The other team's like, no, no, we definitely won. So this is slightly different. I'm trying to do something far more interesting because I'm trying to work out what the hell is the key difference or divergent point between two worldviews. And in this live here right now, the two worldviews, conservative Christianity, progressive Christianity, where do they diverge? How do they see each other? That's the conversation we're having here. And so let me introduce two new friends of the show. Frank, Matthew, thanks. Thanks for joining guys. So Matthew, you are going to occupy the role of the progressive, that rascally progressive Christian.
0: Yeah, sure.
2: Frank, you're going to occupy the conservative role. How, How does that fit? See, that's
0: not foreign to me, or it's not foreign to me, let's say.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fantastic. So uh, let me kick off with, uh, I want you to introduce yourself, but I want you to do it in a slightly different way. Okay, so we'll start with you, Matthew. As you introduce yourself, I want you to visualize how someone in the opposing camp, so like in Frank's camp, how would Frank, maybe not Frank himself because he's a very nice guy, uh, (laughs) how would someone like Frank describe you to their tribe, maybe they're in Sunday school and they're saying, oh, I was chatting to this Matthew guy. They're like, Matthew, how – and they would describe you as what? What are the key words that they would describe this progressive Matthew person? How would, how would they describe you?
1: That's a fantastic way of putting it. Um, it, it. Well, it of course depends. I could just quote some of the endorsement, endorsement quotes I've put on my book, that I'm a professor of word vomit, that, I, that I'm one with the devil – That um, I could, so they could say something like that. If they were more tactful, if they were in a more public space with mixed company, they would probably say that I have been swindled and swooned by um, the progressives on the left or by what feels good and have exchanged the gospel for a gospel of feelings and a namby-pamby Jesus. Um, I've overemphasized God's love and I've underemphasized God's wrath and justice um i have turned from the bible and rejected clear truths like punishment for the damned or the wicked and i you know i i exchange it for some new age ideology like universalism universal reconciliation and that i'm all about feelings and i guess in some way like they're right in a very hyperbolic pejorative (laughs) way like but but i would say they're also very very wrong and mistaken um and i would i would phrase it differently i'm sure that there'd be plenty more to say but you kind of get the gist of what they would say that was a
2: very a very good self-aware like this is how (laughs) this guy's it sounds like you're saying it's almost yeah it's almost as if it's been said to me before it's almost, it's almost like that. Okay. Well, it's nice to meet you, Matthew. I'm, I'm glad to know so much about you. Frank, yeah. are you able to do a similar thing? So it's obviously, perhaps it's not in the Sunday school setting where maybe a progressive like Matthew, it's probably, I'll be honest, it's probably on Instagram. It's probably on TikTok where people are describing, oh, I was just talking to this Frank guy and he was, and how would, how would the progressive camp maybe
0: describe you? Well, I've been described as a fundamentalist, been described as rigid, been described as a legalist. You know, I find it odd that most faiths don't argue with nine of the Ten Commandments, but the the fourth one they seem to have a problem with because we observe the Seventh-day Sabbath. Uh, In disclaimer, as I told you earlier, I'm a 65-year-old lifelong Seventh-day Adventist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've explored a lot mm-hmm. of things, but I've not really deterred from my faith over those uh, 65 years, but I've had it all thrown at me from, uh, legalists to, uh, fundamentalists to, to rigid pain in the butt, wh- whatever. I mean, I've had it all thrown at me. Okay. Okay. Excellent. So it sounds like the
2: both of you're kind of aware of how people might, see you how would now you describe yourself Matthew if you were to introduce yourself you walk into that Sunday school it's like ah quit talking about me let me describe myself to you Mm. I guess if it was in like the
1: theological or worldview sense um yeah I I would say that I I was conservative for 25 years although begrudgingly so that's what I was raised in um but I have since become more, I guess, liberal in and progressive in my theology and 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 my politics, to be fair. Um, I, I deeply care about the person of Jesus. I also think that many traditions, if not, I mean all great faith traditions, i I take a more mystical approach and think that every tradition has some deeply profound truths to teach us. Um, I would say that just as much as Jesus is my brother, so is the Buddha. Um, I I have a a profound respect for Mahayana Buddhism. I think it's been very helpful to me. I also have, I take the Bible more seriously now that I don't take it as literally and don't take it as historic in terms of, I, I don't see the Bible as great journalism like we do now. I think there's a lot of agendas in the Bible, though I do revere it just like, I would revere the Bhagavad Gita and the Quran and and other, you know, uh, Plato and Aristotle and, you know, great writings like that. So um, I would be more probably of a pluralist in a way, though Christianity is my
2: home. Yeah. So what sounds unique about the the descriptor there is that if you're in that Sunday school setting, you know, a lot of the a lot of the labels thrown at you is like, he's lost. He's not taking the Bible seriously. He's kind of mm. walked away from Jesus, but something I know you're saying is that your Christianity is your home and you you take the Bible seriously, which I think seems like a bit of a pushback and a contrast to maybe how some people see you. Frank, ha- you open Instagram and you see this conversation happening about, oh, there's this fundamentalist Frank and he's just never changed from his ways. How would you introduce yourself and say, hey, I'm, I'm Frank, get to know me a little?
0: Well, I found in my Christian experience that you're, you're either growing closer to Christ as you mature or you're growing further away from Christ. And as I've gotten older, I think every man has to spend those proverbial 40 years in the wilderness, like Moses, like John the Baptist, et cetera, that, that, you know, to, to really get in touch with starting to put away self and getting into that love relationship, that love affair with Christ. So as I've aged, I mean, I can look back on my life 20 or 30 years and I couldn't say what I'm saying now, but I think I'm more of a loving person. I think I'm more of an understanding person, empathetic person, but I'm still pretty rigid and pretty convicted in my beliefs that I can't deter from core convictions and core beliefs that I have. And sometimes I can be a little bit, um, I, you know, people might think I'm judgmental, but sometimes I just have to call it the way I see it. I have to call sin by its name. I just think overall, I've grown in my relationship with Christ over the past 20 years, and I hope to continue growing through eternity, as I'm sure well does Matthew also.
2: So Matthew, when you hear Frank describe himself as maybe how some progressives describe him, you know, maybe judgmental, fundamentalist, mm-hmm. is that honesty hour, confession time, is that how you see Frank? Um, I don't. I don't see him personally
1: as that. I would say that if, if his beliefs, I mean, we've had a conversation, you know, full disclosure, Frank and I have talked before online on YouTube. There's, there's a, there's a YouTube video of us talking for about an hour, hour and a half, maybe a year, year and a half ago. And, um, I, I I think that Frank seems to be like one of those people who is a super nice guy, super kind. I'm sure it would give the shirt off your back, off his back if you needed it. It's, it's like kind of the belief systems, like when he says, I call sin a sin, as, as a member of the LGBTQ community, I get triggered by that. And it's like, oh, there's the sin right there. You as a person, as a bisexual person, that's the sin. And so I, I see Frank probably nod, nodding along right now. It's like, well, that's where I have a, a, an issue with because you would see me as just who I am as sin, regardless of my life with my, my uh, happily married for 18 years. We have a child. Um, So when people talk about this sinful lifestyle, I get, I recoil a little bit and, you know, we always were warned about this like robust sinful lifestyle that we're all going to have. And it's like, for honestly, like I'm 40 years old, it's the most boring sinful lifestyle ever. Um, So the LGBTQ agenda, for instance, is like uh, worrying about your budget and shopping and taking your kid to dance and paying your mortgage and cutting the grass. Mm -hmm. It's not really Mm -hmm. that exciting. So... um, when I when I hear sin language like that right off the bat, I got to call sin out. It's like, well, for one I say, well, why? And two, let's what are you talking about sin? Because every time I hear sin from people on the right, it has to do more often than not with your sexual identity or gender identity.
2: So, Frank, just to flip the other way, when you hear Matthew describe himself as previously, you know, maybe lost for like Following sin, just wanting a sinful lifestyle, slipping from God, moving away from you know the truth and core beliefs—is that how you would place Matthew?
0: No, uh, not really. Because I mean, I guess I would say that we're in this earth to be molded in Christ's oneness, His likeness, His image, His perfection. How do we know the character of Christ? The character of Christ is in His law. Christ created the law. So, the law describes Christ's characteristics, and we want to be molded in that image and be in this intimate relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. So, as I said, we're either growing closer to him or growing farther away from him. Now, just kind of speaking in general terms, not speaking about Matthew, but mm-hmm. I find progressivism, pluralism, you know, he mentioned Buddha, he mentioned, you know, several different people pluralism, uh, progressivism, deconstructionism, I would view like an all-you-can-eat buffet. Back in my day, they Mm -hmm. called them smorgasbords. So it sounds pretty good or not? I'll have a little of that. I'll have a whole lot more of that. I'll have a a lot of that, but I don't want none of that. Mm -hmm. And I find that the Word of God is a prescribed formula to enter into this relationship with Him It starts with grace, justification, which is something that God gives us. We're headed towards glorification or holiness, which is the in-run. In-between is what I call the sanctification highway that we're all on. You're on it, Matthew's on it, I'm on it. We're all on this sanctification highway if we're believers in Christ. And Mm -hmm. that's where it's this opportunity to be molded in His image, and when we accept Christ, We can't cut out the sanctification part. A lot of people just want to grab onto the grace, but they don't want the sanctification. And they conflate two things here. They conflate God's love, which God is love. God loves, but God is love. And they conflate that with his promises. God's love is unconditional. God's promises are not. So I can assure you that, that, that God loves Satan. God loves Satan's evil angels. God loves the wicked, but God can't save them because they haven't entered into a relationship with him. They don't want no part of that sanctification process. So sanctification,
2: as you're using it there, is the process of changing the person, the person you're, you're saying when you are saved by God, you are then changing who you are, maybe what you believe, maybe how you express in the world, the actions you do. Is that, is that roughly? Abs- absolutely. What that, from where you're coming from then and what you're describing, is Matthew or the camp Matthew might occupy, is it then you said you're either moving closer to God or further away? You sound like you're categorizing and saying that is the camp that's moving further away from God.
0: No, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I would just say that they need to they need to get in the word first and foremost, understand that the law is a reflection of God's character. It's not an the law was never meant to save. You know, I can tell you both right now, whatever you guys do, don't think of a blue dog. Well, what are you gonna do? Your natural human nature is to think of a blue dog because that's our natural human nature. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. Why wouldn't you then, you say, oh, you wouldn't say Matthew's moving further
2: away, but in the things you're saying and going, okay, well, that we need the law, we need the the strict boundaries, We it needs to express in a certain way, and it probably looks like a certain theology, why wouldn't you say then, Matthew is moving further away because he's saying, you know what? The Buddha's got some pretty interesting stuff to say. I respect that religion as well. And you know what? I think gay people it's, it's the Bible's not read maybe in the same way you, you're reading it. And so I think maybe that lifestyle is okay. And so he's coming to different life conclusions than you might. So is, is why wouldn't you classify that as moving further away?
0: Well, the analogy of Matthew is I'm just saying, Allow him to be, allow whoever you are out there, just allow yourself to be filled with the spirit, accept Jesus Christ as your savior, allow yourself to be filled with the spirit and allow the spirit to do the house cleaning. Don't listen to me, condemn this or condemn that. The (laughs) law is not going, the law is not going to save you. It's the saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So the goal is to make that law a delight to me to where I love to keep that law. So
2: I, I guess probably this is, a, this is a good good part to start where – because we can easily end in this theological discussion and, and go – there's so many different rabbit holes. I used the analogy before. If you're a Lord of the Rings nerd, you're entering the minds of Moria here and you've got different pathways and different tunnels and they can lead on forever. And so I, what I'm wanting to do is really center it in the perception of one worldview – of the other worldview and see where that goes. So Matthew, to you then, I want to begin where Facebook and Instagram and YouTube always begins. You've heard Frank kind of outline kind of his worldview a little bit there, like a lot of Christian language that many Christians would understand, but probably atheist friends of the show listening being like, I don't know, I don't know what he's talking about. Um, But when you hear Frank say what he said, and you're like loading up facebook comment you're you punching out a response there the question always is what's the problem with frank what's the problem with what he's saying
1: yeah i'll start with frank's i think the problem with frank is he said a lot and didn't really say anything about what you were asking um and i felt really condescended when he said you need to dig into the word i can't tell you mm-hmm. how many times i've heard that it's it's simple and i and i believe it's simply said because we disagree with the exegesis or hermeneutical message or, or, or hermeneutic so, method. Pause on that one. It, exegesis yeah. being how yeah, one interprets the Bible. How one interprets the text. And then hermeneutics yeah. kind of like the the way in which you, like the method in which you use to interpret texts. Um, yeah. And so just dig into the word. Well, I've got like nine translations on my bookshelf here. I have them all bookmarked. Um, I read 1200 page books on Romans. I, I, it's not that I'm Right. It's that don't tell me just to read the Bible more and then I'll come up to the same conclusions because I've been reading the Bible. I'm 40 years old now. I've been reading it for 30, when could I read? Five, six, read a text like this that start out with the children's Bible and the picture Bible. I've been reading this for like almost four decades. So I think it's really arrogant and condescending. And I don't know if Frank means to be like this, but a lot of Christians do it where, well, just dig into the word. Well, oh, so and and it'll be proof of that. I'm digging in the word when I conclude what you conclude, because last time I checked, there's like 40,000 denominations and all of them have a Bible. Um, And if that's not enough proof and evidence to show it, you can't just read the Bible tabula rasa with no blank slate. You're just going to read it plainly. It's going to come to this conclusion. And all of us are going to agree, which is why Christians all have one theology. It's like, no, we have a diversity of thought. There's always been a diversity of thought from the get-go. I think maybe Acts 1 through 4, they had the same. But my point being is like Paul and James and the Jerusalem church did not get along and see eye to eye from the jump. And we've been doing this ever since. And that's fine. I think our tradition should be diverse. I think a diversity of thought is fantastic. But please, if you're listening and you're one of those Christians who like Frank just said, hey, just offhand, just dig into the word more and, and then what? We do. Progressives read the Bible. Progressives care deeply about the Bible. And some may not. I would push back and say there's plenty of conservatives who don't. Just look at the American Christian right today. Um, they, They hold up the Bible for prop pictures, but I don't think many of them take it as seriously as I do. And again, it's not that I'm right. It's that I take it at least seriously. So don't just tell me to read it more.
2: The key assumption, it sounds like there when you say, okay, if, if we put it bluntly, like, oh, the problem with Frank's worldview, I suppose, is you're saying that it doesn't allow, it doesn't understand that, or it doesn't seem like it understands that you are reading the Bible. You're taking this text seriously. And by following that process, you've ended where you've ended. You've ended going, okay, I'm reading this text in this way, which leads me to very different conclusions. And it, it sounds like you're saying Frank doesn't understand or it sounds like you think Frank is saying you're not taking it seriously or you're not reading it properly because if you were reading it properly, you would have the same opinions. Does that sound about right?
1: Yeah, I would say probably either reading it properly or allowing the Holy Spirit to interpret it for me. And again, that, that, becomes, that, that again becomes so self-referential because I would say I simply am and I disagree with you. And, and, and Frank would have no, I mean, no philosophical or logical way to say that he's right and I'm wrong. It's just that we see it differently. And, I, and I'm acknowledging that. I would think that he's, I would, I would, I would conclude that he's wrong, but not simply because he's not reading it or not allowing the Holy Spirit. I would say because we can never remove ourselves from our own interpretation of something, and we just happen to interpret it differently.
2: So, Frank, I guess the question is, are you making those assumptions that I suppose you're being accused of when, when you're saying, we've just got to dig into the word, Matthew's hearing it and saying, sounds like you're saying, I'm not digging into the word. I'm not taking it seriously. And the Holy spirit isn't working with me and God isn't leading me. Cause it sounds like Matthew's saying, I actually feel like God is leading me. Are you, are you actually making those claims or have you, is it misunderstood a little bit?
0: No, it's misunderstood a little bit. What I'm mm-hmm. the Bible tells us, study to show thyself approved. So when we sit down at, and open the book, we can look to find fault in it. And there's all kinds of fault to be found in the pages of the Bible. the The, the question is is to sit down and seek him because he can be found inside these words. So when you sit down, you open the book, and you you get in the mold of the, of the Holy Spirit, as Matthew talks about, and you let this, the, the Bible interprets itself. The Bible demands itself. You need to quit listening to pastors. You can even quit listening to me for, in, in some respect. Get in the Word. Allow the Word to speak to you, and allow the Spirit to convict you. and And that's far much better than taking my word for it, your local pastor's word for it, And one thing I did want to mention, uh, Alan Dershowitz, which I don't want to drop names for just for the sake of dropping names, but he's got this little saying about put the shoe on the other foot test. And one of the things in progressivism, pluralism, deconstruction is the idea, what's the downside to me being wrong? So let's just use an example of you know, I get into it quite a bit because I follow Keith Giles' articles, and I read a lot of them on air on my radio program, and I've read some of Matthew's articles. What's the downside to me being wrong? What's the downside to me being wrong about eternal torment, which I don't believe in? What's the downside to me being wrong about universalism, which I don't believe in? I think they're two sides of the same coin. But there's no downside to me, to, to me being wrong about universalism because I'm going to be saved anyway, Right. What's the downside if Keith is wrong? What's the downside if Matthew's wrong? What's the downside? I've tried to examine what the downside is to whatever it is I am promoting as quote, air quote truth. And if 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 there's a downside to it, then I gotta start questioning if I'm speaking truth. Because there should be, there should never be a downside to being right, being 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 on the side of truth. There can never be a downside to being on the side of truth. Um, what, what I was going to say is before we move into that, because I think that's an interesting direction to go. And like, what's
2: the downside? Because we're all playing—we're playing a cosmic gambling game, according to like the Christ, this Christian worldview. Going, we have to. We're we're in the we're in the religion casino, and we're walking down. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, there's Islam over there. Do I put my chips on that table? Well, it looks a bit risky. Oh, what about Buddhism over there? Well, it's it's a foreign country. I don't really understand it. Okay, here's Christianity. You walk in the door, and you're like, oh crap there's a lot of different versions of this thing. And uh, like these guys say they're the remnant. These guys say they've got it right. These guys are doing some weird stuff over there. Who who am I placing my cosmic bet with? Because for many people in this worldview, it's going, if I put my chips on the wrong table, I could go to hell forever. Maybe it's a literal hell. Frank's saying, no, he doesn't believe it's a, it's a full on burning forever. And I'm going to assume Matthew's like, mm, maybe it's not a thing at all. Um, but I suppose, When you say, Frank, when you say, don't listen to me, just follow God, follow his promptings, follow his leadings. It sounds to me like Matthew saying, I am, and this is where it's led me. So then my Mm -hmm. question to you is, how do you reconcile how you both sit so differently? If you're saying, just follow the promptings of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and read the Bible. And Matthew's nodding along saying, I am. So how do you reconcile that?
0: I may have been at this a little bit longer than Matthew since I'm 65, but we're both babes. In, no, no, hang on. Hang on. We're both babes in Christ. Both of us are babes in Christ. And what I'm saying is, is look at this sanctification thing like a highway. One Christian may be at mile marker 50. Another Christian may be at hundred, another Christian at 150, 500, et cetera. We're all going to the same destination. Just because one Christian is at one mile marker and another isn't at that mile marker doesn't mean that, that, that we can't stop back, fall back, and help a Christian brother up. And that Christian brother shouldn't be so offended that he can't take the help, nor should the more uh, mature Christian start browbeating this guy. Well, how did you pull your car in the ditch? How would you drive this thing in the ditch? How silly, how stupid of you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just saying Matthew's a growing Christian. I'm a babe in, in Christianity. I know he kind of fell back there for a while because he thought I was going to say something that I, that I, I don't think I'm, I, I'm intending to say. Is So it sounds like what you're saying
2: then, um, and we get that. We, we got the eye roll from Matthew for people listening on the podcast. It's, it sounds like, and we can, I can get you to correct you in a minute after kind of Matthew has a, has, a, has a crack, but it sounds like you're saying we're on a freeway, we're going the same way, Sure, there's a long way to go, and we both have a long way to go. But it sounds like you're saying you're older, more experienced, so you're further down the freeway. And Matthew might have a flat tire, and you're like, "Hey, mate, I can help you. I've been down this road before. I'm maybe further along the journey." It sounds like that. Is that what you're hearing, Matthew? No, that's exactly
1: what I'm hearing. Um, be- because it's it, it almost I, I almost honestly feel like I'm being gaslit right now because. It's like you're saying it but then you're saying well that's not what I'm saying but that is what you're saying because the the implication is that I am pulled off the side of the highway don't get offended when you're being corrected but you're not a- actually answering the question Conrad is asking you on how do you I mean how do you reconcile the fact that I believe that I'm that I'm trying to follow God love Jesus Christ whatever language you want to put to it. And I'm coming to different conclusions. And I'm saying, because it's through my grid and filter that we all have. And this is my conclusion of my interpretation of my experiences. Yours would be doing the same thing. And you would come up with a different conclusion. And you're saying that you're, you're just saying you're repeating that you're right. And you've been at it longer and that I shouldn't be offended that I'm off the side of the road and someone's trying to help me. That's what I'm hearing Instead of actually answering the question on how you reconcile, that we come up with starkly different conclusions, but we have the same approach that we are trying to follow God. I believe the same of you. And I would say that, I would simply say that I would think that you're wrong because you're interpreting it wrong. I would say that I'm wrong on a lot of things too, and because I'm interpreting it wrong. And and that's how I would reconcile it. I'd be curious on how you actually reconcile that fact, other than saying And correct me if I'm wrong, that you're not saying this, that you've been at it longer or you've been, you're down the highway. However, you're down the highway further and I'm back there, bitch moaning and complaining because
0: I'm pulled off flat on the side of the road. Well, first off, as we talked a little bit in advance of the show and some emails, I said, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to scribe anything to Matthew that's not true because, you know, I would talk more in general terms. So, And I think Matthew kind of thinks the same thing. So I'm not referencing Matthew's life. I'm just saying that on this sanctification highway, we're all at a different mile marker. Some may be uh, more advanced than others. I may be less than advanced than some others. There may be more mature Christians than me, etc. I'm just saying in general terms, as Christian brothers— Let's not get offended if somebody drops back to help you. Don't be too proud to accept the help. And I'm talking to anybody, you, me, anybody. And, 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 and I'm also talking to, to, to more advanced Christians not to come back and start going, how stupid of you to drive that car from the ditch? Because remember when you were young, Christian, and you put the car off in the ditch. And so, so again, I, I, I don't want <clears throat> to aim anything at Matthew in particular. I was just making that as more of a general statement. I guess this is
2: the question because we all hold beliefs in the Christian camp. There's thousands of different Christian denominations, each one claiming this is the one. And the more humble ones amongst them might go, well, we know we've probably got something wrong, but we're still the most right. And then most of Christianity sits within that and says, (laughs) We're all at least a team because we know those Muslims got it wrong because come on, Allah. like, And then we look across at the Hindus and go, no, that, we don't even understand those rituals. We, we have Jesus. We are totally right. So we all do make these judgments as, as we move through. If, even if we don't actively think about them in our mind going, I'm more right than him over there and him over there. You know, We're trying to be a bit humble but if i'm sitting in a certain theological camp i'm going to church like maybe you frank on a saturday you're going you're going this is the day i'm going to go to church and these are my doctrines and this is why i think that the question i think that flows from going both of you think you're right frank it sounds as if you're going well i'm pretty certain i'm right and i'm pretty certain i might be further down the highway than some others because i'm a bit older and i've done this for a while and i'm but i'm happy to help everybody and i know i've still got a long way to go how do you know that you are further down the highway what like what if how do you know that matthew isn't 100k further sorry for american 100 miles further how do you know
0: well again i wasn't suggesting that i was further down the highway than matthew i was just simply saying as a as a a general thing. I'm 65 years old. What Matthew say he was 40 something. I'm just saying, I've been at this a little bit longer, just as living the human experience. I'm not talking, you know, that I'm wiser, whatever, more than Matthew. I just, when I said that I meant I was at this life thing a little bit longer, 65, just turned 65 Mm -hmm. in September. But I go to scripture and the scripture tells me that Emmanuel was sent to save the people in their sin or from their sin. So there's a difference between forgiving of sin and there's a difference of cleansing of sin. So this would require a lot of study into the old animal sacrifice system, but a man could, could sacrifice a thousand sheep and be given forgiven a thousand times, but he has to be cleansed to be purified and molded and made holy in the image of Christ. And so that's what I was suggesting that it's a growing process. The more you are involved in the word, the more you're allowing the spirit to have control of your life. This stuff's not going to come because I say, so this stuff's going to become because of the study. Whoever's listening is putting into it. And again, I don't want to make any general assumptions against Matthew. Matthew told me once he works with, uh, I don't know. What's the terminology? Some, some youth in the Los Angeles area. Uh,
1: I've worked, I've worked in social work up in Northern California for like 15 years. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Anybody that donates their time to help youth or that are in trouble is on the right track. So I'm not, I'm not trying to disparage anything about Matthew. I'm just would would say to Matthew or anybody, myself, you, anybody just get in the word, let the spirit start having control your life and convicting and don't listen to me. Don't listen to your local preacher, let him do the convicting and growing the fruits on your on your branch.
2: So it sounds like you're saying let's look at let's look at what people are doing, how they're transforming, how their lives might be showing fruits of love or compassion or something like that that looks similar to the life of Jesus. Matthew, I suppose same question to you. How do you know you're on the right path? How do you know you're not? just off in a ditch or you've been misled or you're following the easy life because you want more sin. How, how do you know where you are is the best place you can be right now? And how do you know when you look across at Frank at church on a Saturday going, how do you know you're, you're probably not going to be there and you're going to be where you are?
1: Um, I, I start all of, I mean, I, I try to be present in the moment. I, um, uh, I try to use my uh, allow my experiences to be what my experiences are without bringing um, as, as many, as much as possible, not bringing an, an immediate interpretation to it. So um, I, I let the present moment be what it is. And this is where Buddhism has helped. I, I draw my knowledge from and, you know, the start of my knowledge starts with a, with uh, experience. And as I dig and as I look for truth and as I look at the universe, am I, am I finding more peace? Am I finding more bliss? Am I finding um, a passion to help the poor and the estranged and the marginalized in, in my country, in my community? Cause those are the things Jesus taught about, uh, talked about a lot, a lot. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I looked, I looked at the, at the fruit of, of where I'm at mental, mental health wise, um physiologically um i i look and 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 try to you know who who are those on the fringes of my community and i think i think i mean it's self-evidential when you work with those kind of people it's kind of self-evidential that you're on the right track it doesn't mean your theology is see i thought we were talking about theology earlier and um, then we then we got into more of like you know how your life is uh you know what what you do in your life how do you know you're on the right and i think i I have to separate i mean you you can't separate the two entirely but i think i've said it a lot before i think people are better than their theology so i think we can be on the right track and have really bad theology um so that's what i would look at frank i'm sure he's a great guy i'm sure he helps out his community I, i assume i try to assume and have a good faith towards everyone that they're doing those things even if I think like, God, your theology is just like, I, I don't, I don't get it, but I mean, I get it, but I don't, I don't agree. Um, so that, hmm. that's how I, as far as theology goes, like I, I've gotten to a place where the God I believe in doesn't care if I'm right about theology. Because hmm. all of theology is just a pointer. It's fan fiction. I've heard someone say like, yeah, some is better than others, but no, I'm not right. I, I, I cannot, I cannot say what God is entirely correctly. The most Mm. most of the time, the only thing I can say that's really correctly is what God's not.
2: I've never heard it put like that. It sounds like theology is, you're describing it as theories people come up with that may or may not help them live life better. And some theologies may help someone live life better, but it may not quote unquote be correct. It sounds like you're sidestepping from this game that I believe is very common in most of the religious world. It's most of the debates and arguments are always around, well, you're reading this passage wrong, and God's not like this, he's actually like this, and atonement doesn't work like this, it actually works like this. And everyone's arguing over exactly how this works. But it sounds like your approach is to step back and go, if we are talking about something that's big and incomprehensible, like a cosmic God something in the universe... We're probably going to get it wrong. And so you've got this, it almost sounds like this underlying security. That's like, if this God being is what it is, then I don't think it necessarily cares what I think of it. Almost is that, does that sound about right? I I don't think that would be our,
1: uh, I don't think that would be the primary focus. I think Mm there, I mean, if we believe God uh, hates gay people, yeah, I think if God does have a distinct personality and will and, you know, autonomy in that way, kind of anthropomorphized God. Yes, I do think God would care about that, that we mm-hmm. um, that we uh, degrade that the name of God. But mm-hmm. I think first and foremost, I know I don't the guy if God is is love, if God is merciful, if God's. Uh, you know, it's is it in Ephesians where God's mercy is wider, broader, higher and deeper than, than we could imagine? If that's true, then no, of ultimate importance is not what we think of God. It's, I, I would say, it's much more anthropological than that. It's how we treat others. It's how we care mm-hmm. for others, especially the
2: marginalized. Okay, this is, this is interesting. So it sounds like you're saying your theology... If I'm going to really compress this, so it might, not, it might miss, but it sounds like you're saying your theology doesn't matter to your eternal salvation, if or whatever that is, but it matters on the level of how you treat people in society, how you vote, how you interact with the poor, the marginalized. Does that sound like a compressed version of what you're saying? I,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. I, I, it's kind of like in fancy terms, orthopraxy over orthodoxy. It's much more important how we practice out our faith than
2: the, the jots and tittles of what we believe about something. So Frank, when you hear that, when you hear something like your theology doesn't really matter to your salvation because God is beyond that. And God's like, I know Matthew's trying to do his best and he thinks I'm like this and I'm actually not like this. And I don't really care because he's, he's doing what he can, but it matters on the level of how we treat other people. What's your, what's your take feeling response to that?
0: Well, growing up a Seventh-day Adventist, I, I always had this terminology that the ten is the two and the two is the ten. You know, Christ talked about these two new commandments, love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. The two, So the two are intricately linked. So if you love God, you by default have to love your neighbor because God loves them. God died for them, and if you don't love them, then how can you be in a relationship with God and love him when he loves them? So as a, as a Christian, we are p- to be drawn into this relationship, first and foremost, with our Lord and Savior, to have an intimate, personal relationship with the creator of the universe who created us with individual fingerprints, irises unlike anybody else. He knows the hairs on our head or the lack of hairs on our head. And he wants that relationship with us. And then he wants us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so on that hangs the law and the prophets, as the Bible says. And Matthew's right. Troubled youth was the thing I was inarticulately trying to say. Matthew works with troubled youth or has worked with troubled youth, which I really admire. But that demonstrates our love for our fellow man, what he's doing. But are mm-hmm. you, are you, so engrossed in your fellow man that you're missing the personal relationship with him. And I don't, I'm not saying you are, I'm not saying you aren't. I'm just asking an open Mm -hmm. question. So my belief is, is, is that first and foremost, I want to be intimate with my Lord and savior. I want that intimate relationship, that intimate walk, and i want him to mold me in his image in his likeness in his oneness in his perfection and the only way i can be able to do that is give up self because i can't be in love with somebody else if i'm in love with myself and so that's the that's the battle for all of us whoever we are is self versus god self versus god because if you make yourself primarily then de facto you've made yourself a God in front of him and God doesn't like competition. So, Matthew, when you when you hear this language
2: of this, this personal relationship, God shaping, God molding, um, giving up that self, and then Frank kind of saying, and clearly that on some level is happening when he just looks, you know, he hears about you giving time to help other people. He's going, well, clearly something like that's happening. Would you use that language for your journey saying, God has molded me shaped me in those ways and is personal relationship is that language language you would use or would you use different language? And do you think you're on that journey or not on that journey?
1: Hmm. Um, no, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use that language. Um, I don't approach, I, I mean, I've heard that language obviously, right. Growing up in uh, evangelicalism and, um, obviously you know you were supposed to have a personal relationship with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and yada yada Um, no I don't I don't use that language per se and I and I don't pit um, myself against God and saying I actually say the opposite like Frank said something if you if you love yourself or if you're in love with yourself you can't love others and I would say if you don't love yourself you don't know how to love others I mean, how can you not I, mean, I don't understand how you can not love yourself and then sh- and then love others. Like, how do you know you're loving others if you don't even love yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I, I don't use that language. I would. I mean, honestly, if uh, you know, full disclosure, I don't I don't think of. I don't think of theology or God when I try to do good. I, I'm trying to do good for good's sake and because the language for me trips me up like i i don't need an alter, like what would what seems like an ulterior motive um and and i don't i mean like i think about like the um the parable of the sheep and the goats like it seems in that parable that jesus is trying to emphasize that really just it doesn't matter that you don't have the language in fact the ones who are the sheep are surprised when did we do this for you lord they they did it just because it's the right thing and the good thing to do. And the ones who were proclaiming Jesus's name weren't doing those things, and they're the goats. And so I think that the, the you know parables are often, or always, to shock the listener. And so the shocking thing there, and my friend Jeff Turner points this out, it's almost like it, you could be an atheist and still be a sheep, and you could be a devout Christian and still be a goat. What God really cares about is treating your, your fellow human being. And so if that means I'm on quote unquote, the path, uh, then great. I just don't think about it in those terms. So I, I mm-hmm. can't really give it a full answer on like, it just doesn't come into my, my vernacular or my brain anymore like that. Frank, is,
2: is that a problem? Do you think like the way Matthew's describing going, he 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 seems to be sidestepping theology a little bit going, yep, it's interesting. I've read it. I've I've looked into it. But I'm more concerned with how am I living? What's my output? Where, is, where are these ideas leading me? Is sidestepping theology like that and this picture of God, because you were saying like these, these things are linked, they're interlinked, like how you think about God and your salvation and then your output and how God then sanctifies you through your theology and beliefs, uh, gives you the accurate picture or a helpful picture of God that then changes your life. How is that a problem that Matthew's kind of sidestepping it a a little bit, or is it just not something you would subscribe to?
0: Well, I wouldn't subscribe to it, but you know, he's on his journey. I'm on my journey. We're all on this journey. But, but, Mm. but what I want to say is, is, is the selfless character of our savior that he got off his throne. He took off his crown to come and die for Conrad, for Frank, for Matthew, and he wants us to have that same selfless character and that same selfless nature. So that's why he says, love your neighbor as yourself, because he loves him. He died for him, and if he has that selfless character and we want to be like him, then we want to start growing and maturing in this same selfless character as he. And that's what I talk about the personal relationship with him. Love God with all your heart. Thou shall have no other gods before me. And you can make anything a god. You can make your work a god. You can make your relationships a god. You can make, you know, your hobbies a god. You can make, you know, drugs, alcohol, lust, pornography, gambling. You can make anything a drug or anything an addiction and make it a god before God. I'm simply saying that God wants there's in love there's no less than everything. And when God wants this love relationship with you, he wants you all. And I'm not suggesting that we don't love ourselves. I'm just suggesting that we don't love ourselves to the detriment of taking away that natural worship and that natural uh, relationship with him is where I guess I would.
2: When, when I hear you say that, Frank, I go, it doesn't sound too controversial, doesn't sound too challenging, but it also sounds very broad and it also sounds on a level that other de- other Christian denominations could have that loving relationship or that loving expression of God, that selflessness. If God is love and it, the character comes through this model of selflessness, then can't that be found, I suppose, what it sounds like Matthew's saying, can't that be found In Buddhism can't that be found in deconstructing your Christian beliefs can't that be found in humanism when we look at society can't those things be found adjacent to Adventism in Baptists in Catholics in other Christian denominations could it if if it is as broad as you're sounding can it not be almost everywhere and your theology might help you but it might not be the path for everyone
0: well that gets into the the thinking of pluralism um is that a problem? Christ, Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It did not say it comes through Buddha. It doesn't say it comes through Muhammad. It doesn't say it comes through Gandhi, Mother Teresa. These are all good people. I'm not saying that you can't learn a lesson from Confucius. I'm not saying you can't learn a lesson from a lot of people. But our salvation is one way through Jesus Christ who died. He is risen. Now, just to mention, uh, when they teach people how to study counterfeit currency, They don't show you all the counterfeit currency. They show you the the real $100 bill, the real $20 bill, the real $50 bill. And those people so study that bill, they so study the intricacies of that bill, that they immediately reject the counterfeit because they know it, the real one, so front and back. And I'm convicted that Christianity, I'm convicted that Jesus Christ is the real bill, and everything else is potentially counterfeits. Which is not to say that there you can't learn some life lessons from all these people, from Confucius, Buddha, you know Gandhi, uh, you know uh, Muhammad, Mother Teresa, etc. I'm not saying there's not some good qualities to these people, but they're not my Lord and Savior. I can't get to the Father through these individuals. So my goal is to be in a relationship with the creator of the universe and none of those other people created this universe. None of those ever died, was in the tomb for three days, was raised and ascended to the father that he has a house with many mansions where he is. I'm going to be, I go to prepare a place for you, or I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again, receive you unto myself that where I am. ye may be also. That's my hope is he has risen. My hope's not, you know, I mean, I don't know where Buddha or where Muhammad's buried, Part of it is in Mecca, part of it is in other places of the world. I know where Jesus Christ is. He's in heaven, and he's going to come again. He's going to receive me, and whoever believes in him, to himself, and we're going to be with the Lord. That's my hope. And as the the, uh, Apostle Paul said, if we don't have that hope that he has risen, our hope's in vain.
2: So the only path, then, is through the Christian Christ, is through the Christian, there's no one comes to the Father except through me. If Christ is saying that, and then you're saying that that's the only pathway to eternal salvation. Matthew, it does sound like you may not be saved if you've left the tent of the Christian Jesus Christ literal salvation. How do you hear all that or manage all that, or think about this idea of pathways to eternal salvation?
1: Well, I mean, it raises the question for me of saved, saved uh, from what, or even saved Mm -hmm. for what Um, often the Christians who, and and look, I've read John 14, six. I've, I've read plenty of interpretations from, you know, a conservative view, uh, plenty of uh, interpretations from people like Marcus Borg and uh, people more progressive. And so, you know, I, I'm aware of the passage and I have a different view of that, but that's neither here nor there. What, um, I, well, I
2: am, I am curious. What, what is that? Like, cause it sounds like Frank saying, well, it's quite clear. Um, quite Jesus clear, said, yeah. oh, this is the only pathway, but you're saying mm, that text, what's like an alternative? Uh,
1: well, I've heard, I've heard plenty of people say, um, you know, in a very mystical way, like we can all say I am, I mean, uh, we can all say I'm the way, the truth and the life. Um, And there's other interpretations of, you can, I mean, the way of Jesus is the way of being a human in the world. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to know the name of Jesus to, to be a part of that way. So a Buddhist who practices, you know, or is compassionate and showing empathy and doing the things that Jesus did while he was on earth. Um, is a part of that way so i mean there's 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 different ways to go about scripture and there's there's a whole mystical tradition within yeah, judaism and christianity that i think again uh, i think a lot of conservatives kind of think that you know we you, you use the word sidestepping and I, I love theology i i think it's really important i just say it's not it's not my primary concern any longer so um i i i I don't know if that's, if that's sidestepping, then that's fine. Um, Can you repeat like the question
2: before you ask thing about John 14? The the question is, is like from that passage or the interpretation that Frank holds to that passage, it's like Mm -hmm. salvation is only like, this is the Mm. only, this is the only path. And so how do you engage with salvation or the lack Mm. thereof or not being saved if you're not holding to that worldview? Is that even a question you think about or ask? Yeah,
1: it's not. Um, It's not something I currently think about, although I do believe we are in a way saved by um, the life of Jesus. I've studied Rene Girard for a long, long time. I think a lot of what he had to talk about in terms of human behavior, religious practice, sacrificial systems, the uh, the undoing of that sacrificial systems or the complete like reimagination, reimagining what that looks like saves us from a lot of bloodshed, from a lot of I- human infighting. I think by um, when we forgive 70 times 7 rather than in Genesis, we have the vengeance of 70 times 7, which leads to violence throughout the entire world. I think that saves us from our human systems of violence and injustice. Uh, So I think there's a a lot of ways of talking about salvation, but no, I don't think it's a, Hey, I better get this right about Jesus or I better know him intimately because there's plenty of people who've never heard of Jesus um, who apparently aren't saved. I I, I don't know how that works. Um, So it, 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 I got to put my my Derrida hat on here and the term deconstruction originally meant um, kind of deconstructing the meaning of words and language so that we have a unity of text so that we can actually communicate with one another. So I have to ask, what are we saved from when we talk about, oh, Jesus saves us? Well, I mean, the natural question is, what are we saved from? Too many Christians then start going in about, well, I think, you know, sin, originally it was kind of like sin, the devil, and um uh, death. and now it's turned into you could get into penal substitution atonement theory where Jesus saves us from the Father's wrath that's going to be poured out into us unless unless we accept, you know the Jesus and it it, it you know, there's all sorts of different atonement theories. So you know, what are we saved from? I, I have my ideas. I could be wrong, but i I don't find most conservative Christian,
2: answers to what we're saved from very compelling so i want to pivot here a little bit to a pitch each of you have have something each of you are sitting where you are because you're like listen this is the best place for me to be it's worked thus far it's led me to somewhere i think is the best place to be if you were to sell something to the other person you're looking across the fence you're looking at your neighbor and you're like hey i've got something that might make your life better, what might that be? And we're talking theologically here. So is there a concept that you have, Matthew, that you have, Frank, when you're looking at each other and you're like, yeah, I like this guy, we're having great great, great discussions, you know, we disagree on things, but we're just wrestling it out. I feel like if Matthew could just understand this one concept, his life would be better or his worldview would be improved. And, and Matthew, if you're like, I think Frank, if he could just understand this one premise, to make his life better what would that be who would like to go first
0: uh i'll jump in because i want to kind of come back to something he said what do we save from god created a law that runs the universe if we're if the bible is to be believed this law is an eternal law it was written in stone by the finger of god that's the decalogue that's the ten commandments some people may argue well it was only given at sinai well what got Satan kicked out of heaven originally, and what got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden? If there was no law, they transgressed. So what we're saved from is a broken law. Now, Matthew and I, neither or you too, Conrad, neither one of us is responsible for this. Our Adam and Eve, our forefathers, is responsible. But an out-of-tune piano can only play out-of-tune music, so everything Adam and Eve has created since them was born in sinful human nature. So I'm trapped. As Paul said, what I want to do, I can't. What I don't want to do, I do. Who's going to save me from this wretched body of sin? So we're trapped in this thing where we're, we're we're at we're we're at enmity with God because a friend of the world is an enemy of God. So we want to be reconciled back to God. That's the key. And the Bible tells us that we're saved, not in our sin, but from our sin. But What I would say to Matthew or I'd say to anybody listening, God is going to judge any individual on the light given them and the light received. So there's going to be people in heaven. I assure you, that's not going to know the name of Jesus, but they followed nature as closely as they, as they possibly could. This is going to be the exception, not the rule, but there will be people in heaven who don't know the name of God. There'll be Buddhas in heaven, uh, Muslims in heaven, Jews in heaven, Mormons in heaven. I think there's going to be a plethora of people in heaven, but they will get there through one avenue, through the infrastructure that was laid down by Jesus Christ, the sinless lamb of God that took on our liabilities and gave us his assets. He took on our sin, gave us his perfect life. So whoever enters that kingdom, and I'm not going to sit here and judge who's there and who's not there because that's not my that's above my pay grade. I'm just simply saying, if you enter into those gates of that kingdom, you will have entered on the life and the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't care what you believe.
2: So it it sounds like you're, in a way, you're pitching this idea of the universe functions in a certain way. There is this God sounding a little anthropomorphized God that wrote in stone, this is how the universe works. And because that is how the universe works, if you commit a sin or you got kicked out of heaven, you got Adam and Eve got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Now we're trapped in sin that we we can't escape. And there's only one way out. And that's like this doctrinal belief set that goes, well, if you believe in Jesus, and it's like it's coming from a certain reading and, and a certain use of the Bible. It sounds like that's the, that's the pitch. The pitch is, Matthew, the universe works this way. And if you if you're if you are you're, you're going to reject the idea that sin traps us and this is the only way out, then you're going to be stuck. Matthew, what would you pitch to Frank? That saying that that when you look at his worldview and go, if if Frank understood this one thing, his his world might improve.
1: Um, and initially, everything that I think of doesn't probably I'm I'll make assumptions. I guess um, impact Frank as mm-hmm. much. Um, because like I initially I think of, you know how how would my theology improve the lives of black people, brown people, queer people, people who are in marginalized groups, and um, sorry, Frank, if I've assumed something incorrect about you, um, but for Frank specifically, I there's a lot that he's saying that I w- I would say have those beliefs like, I, I don't share them necessarily, but have them. I, I just don't. I, I guess hopefully, maybe I could give you comfort to say that the people that you love won't get snuffed out of existence and then you'll have to exist in heaven without them. Because I, I assure you, just as you assure me that there will be Buddhists and Muslims, and I assure you that in even an Adventist conditional immortality, annihilation, Worldview, um, especially in an eternal torment worldview, but the annihilationist doesn't get away from this: is that people that you love will no longer be with you, and therefore your heaven cannot be the same heaven as if they were reconciled. It will always fall short in some way, and God erasing your memory, or making you hardened to them, or doing a frontal lumbotomy, or the men in black thing. Um, <laughs> no amount of that will make the heaven be as good as if those people that you loved on earth, say it's your kid, your mother, your wife, your friends, as if they were somehow reconciled by that God and then they were with you in heaven forever. And and just, I I would say that you can have the belief you have now and I I would say that there's there's not, you're not going to have that, horrible realization that your heaven is void of your loved ones
0: okay well i was just going to say you know because i know there's a lot of focus on sexuality in 2023 i hear a lot of people saying i'm born that way i'm i'm, I'm born LGBTQXYZ, whatever people. No, say please don't. Born. No, please,
1: please, don't pay. I, I'm gonna. I don't. I don't mean to interrupt, but please do not patronize us in the community by adding that. You know what it is. You don't have to condescend an entire community of which I am one. Okay, thank you.
0: But irregardless of what you identify yourself as, the Bible is clear: ye must be born again. So it doesn't make any difference what you think your earthly identity is. You're being reborn, you're being regenerated in the image of God. What can
2: I, um, drill down? Can I drill down into that, I suppose, metaphor? Born again, when you say it, Frank, what would what, what do you mean specifically? Like, what does that look like if, if you're to say, or for your example, when you're saying, if you would classify yourself as born again, what does that mean?
0: When I go down into baptism or the watery grave, I die to self. I come up a new regenerated person. There're steps to be saved: confession, repentance, belief, and baptism. Some people want to sidestep some of those beliefs, etc. Okay. So, this is the goal of every human being listening. I don't care what you think you were born. I, you know, you can be born whatever. You must be born again. Conformed in that image of Christ, we know in heaven. The Bible tells us it's going to be sexless in heaven. There's going to be no male, female. We're going to be like angels. So this sexual identity, whatever it is you think you have on earth, it's so important to you. You're talking about eternity versus what's the best of us kick around on this earth? Seventy years, eighty years. You know, I I, I looked on the internet the other day. The oldest guy living is supposed to be 112. Okay, so even if you got 112 years, what's that in comparison with eternity and living in eternity with your Savior? So I don't want to get hung up on this idea and get blasted with this idea that I'm all about worrying about somebody's sexuality. Ye must be born again. I had to be born again. Everybody's got to be born again. So whatever hopes, dreams, aspirations I have as a human being, I'm, you know, Paul said all that I was before i met jesus christ is a waste of my energy a waste of my time it was all folly because i want to i want to drill down
2: on this i suppose this idea because i hear this language a lot and and uh, maybe people get annoyed at at my insistence on specificity Otherwise, I have to assume maybe what friends of the show are hearing when, they, when they're listening to some of the language you're using, Frank. So you're saying, be born again, follow this pathway, um, give your life over to Christ, all these sorts of things. But you're part of a certain denomination that has a certain set of beliefs that when you say, be sanctified, the check markers of perhaps, maybe I'm inferring this, but the check markers of sanctification seem to be following like a seventh, uh, like, believe this thing of, about how hell exists, believe um, this is the right uh, position of marriage and the family unit, believe um, that the seventh day is when you should go to church, believe that God is like this, believe the three angels' message if we're talking Adventism. Mm-hmm. It, like, is that the checkbox that we're talking about, that you're talking about when you say you have to be born again and evidence of being born again looks like being in this belief system because someone could say, I can imagine a progressive Christian. I don't know if Matthew would say this, but a progressive Christian would say, yeah, I've been born again. And I'm none of those things. So it, there's a difference in the language being used because we've got, and I suppose this is the tension between conservative Christians, progressive Christians, and every other thousands of different denominations of Christians. We're all using this language of Christ said, I'm the only way be born again. Um, salvation through me, all these sorts of things, but we all end somewhere different. So for you, Frank, when you're saying like like we need to be born again and put our own earthly identities aside and then what is that? Does it does it look like being an Adventist or is there other ways to do it?
0: Well, I just happen to be an Adventist. I mean, if if I, I guess I find something that keeps the law or keeps the word of God better than the Seventh-day Adventist faith, I'd probably go follow that. But this is the closest thing. That, you know uh, I'm I'm keeping the I, I I have dietary restrictions that I adhere to uh, I know Muslims don't eat swine and Jews don't eat swine I don't eat swine I observe the seventh-day Sabbath I in other words what the seventh-day Adventist Church evolved from was from the from the foundation of Judaism that the Jews rejected the Jews would never enter into into Christ's rest they had there was three rests mentioned in in hebrew there was a rest from wandering a rest from sin which obviously they didn't want to indulge in but the rest that god wanted them to enter into was that intimate sabbath rest and so this this sabbath rest hebrews tells us there's an open invite to it don't fall after the same example of unbelief as the original people who were given it but the seventh-day adventist church i'm not saying is is you know the The premier church; it just happens to, in my opinion, hold to the views of Bible closer than anything else that I have studied, engaged to try to study, etc. So,
2: what's your what's your take on on that answer, Matthew?
1: Um, Well, with all the anti semitism going on from Yay and other folks in America, I, I would be remiss not to mention that every follower of jesus in the in the bible is jewish so we can't say the jews rejected anything because everyone who followed jesus was a jew other than what the roman centurion um the the guy in the the guy before the cross surely this is the son of god um but so it's very it's it's a, in historical inaccurate to say inaccuracy to say the jews rejected jesus um no actually there's only Jews followed Jesus, or initially. Um, and I, I, will, I want to go back to you, you. For some reason, when I mentioned universal reconciliation, you jumped in on LGBTQ people. Um, I find it interesting that what you said is only mentioned when it's some non-heteronormative identity that you, oh, well, it doesn't matter that you're that, or you think you're that, as if you can interpret my existence better than me. You don't mention it when someone mentions they're heterosexual. You might say it now that you're put pressed, but if, if you were to say, are you a heterosexual man, you're not going to probably be as quick, or at least my, my experience of conservative Christians, you're not going to be as quick to be like, oh, but my identity doesn't really matter. It's only when we talk about the LGBTQ community, of which everyone who mocks us with the letters knows what it is. You can certainly are smart enough to say LGBTQ plus or LGBTQ Um, but I, I, am curious on why you would only seem to want to mention it. I I also had a discussion with a pastor who said that too, when their kid came out gay, their initial question was, well, you know, you're confused. We have, we never say that stuff when someone says, Hey, I'm straight. Oh, good. Do you have a boyfriend? Do you have a girlfriend? We only want to say it when it's not the heteronormative. And
2: I find that deeply, deeply disturbing so I suppose the question, uh, Matthew, it sounds like you're saying you're going. You felt you saw a connection between when, f- fr- when you mentioned your views on, you know, I think this is a heaven that that everyone will get to, and it's going to be mm-hmm. a re- your pitch was it's going to be a really good heaven because no one's going to be missing. Whereas yep. in some, well, most Christian worldviews, it's like. They'll either be burning in hell forever, perhaps purgatory, or in an Adventist worldview, it's like, well, they're just non-existent. It's just they didn't, right. they didn't make it. They're not suffering, but they're just not, just not there anymore. And then, Frank, you mentioned identities, and the first thing you think of when you said identities was LGBTQ people. I guess the question, it sounds like, is saying why is that? And I think I do think it's a fair question because I hear it a lot because Christianity. Has this bit have a strong issue with homosexuality and now trans people? It's like at the front of the political Christian movement. I suppose the question is, sounding from Matthew, it's like, why is that the first statement that might, why is it linked? I suppose, when I suppose being heterosexual is an identity, being gay is an identity, why is being heterosexual not triggering Christians in the same way? Now, podcasting friends, I will confess, you are very good friends of the show, and as I was sneaking out that bonus episode from behind the paywall, I dropped half of it. <laughs> and so, if you'd like to hear the rest of that episode, and you'd like to support the show, you can head to artistdigest.org, and <laughs> I can give you the rest of that episode. Mm, you like that hook to really pull you there. Anyway, or if this really pissed you off, you're like getting really into it, you're like, man this sucks, Conrad cutting episodes, trying to plug his bloody paywall thing, you can head to I just Digest on Instagram, do the survey and send me that honest, brutally honest feedback in the feedback form. I would love to hear from you because you're a podcaster. You're a very good podcasting friend of the show and I appreciate you. So thanks for listening. I will catch you next week.